Am I interrupting something? Would it really matter if you were? We have a situation. Brian radioed in. The Iraqi found the decoy village. Good. It's what we wanted. Brian followed him back to the shore. Then they have a sailboat. Oh. I have no idea. So they have a boat. Sailing in circles will keep them busy. They could find us. I'm thinking. How quickly can you put together a team? Within the hour. And don't waste time talking to us. Hey, Colleen. I want that boat. That's how we say it here on Down the Hatch, Downtown the Hatch, as per last week. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by Mike Bloom. Mike, watch what you've knocked over. Who did that? Who who broke the thing? I'm also excited that we're doing it down the hatch. Just don't let Jin know. Uh, actually, you don't need to let Jin know, because apparently he'll still do something and have someone believe that they do know that they're doing it down the hatch and subsequently throw themselves down the hatch in a more oh suicidal God. manner of speaking. Yeah. Okay. So the Glass Bowerina. Here we are, season three, <laughs> episode two. I can't even remember. I, th- I think that I had said in a previous podcast that the Glass Ballerina is among the least familiar episodes of Lost for me. Like, this is an episode mm-hmm. of Lost where, like, I could tell you kind of roughly what has happened in it, but couldn't tell you specifically. Uh, if it wasn't the Glass Ballerina, it was definitely a Quan episode, and the Glass Ballerina was at least a contender. And I would say that that holds up on this rewatch for me, Mike, because there's a lot that happens in here that I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember this being the runway episode i don't remember this being the boston red sox reveal at the end of the episode um but i i do think there there's something to be said for we were texting before we came on to the podcast and we were talking about how how much we love sawyer right now uh and how sawyer is uh celebrating some sort of milestone that we'll get to a little bit uh later on in the podcast um, but you described, uh, you said, Sawyer's been a nice sense of levity these first couple of episodes, especially in this big nothing burger of an episode. Uh, and I do feel like maybe that's fair. <laughs> yeah. The glass you valerina. smell like nothing burgers. Yeah. Uh, yeah th- that's the thing is, you know, you've talked a couple times with previous episodes about how, you know, if you're watching Lost, there are episodes that you tend to skip. But from my memory, I can't think of an episode we've encountered in the first three seasons that feels, to be candid, the most non-essential. Now, that being said, I will say that compared to some of the other episodes, like Adrift, Fire Plus Water, whatever the case may be, there were not as many bad things in this episode, right? There's nothing that I'm saying, like, I don't like this, this is not working, but what I will say is you could argue there are quote-unquote bad things in the sense that honestly, I know, I sort of bristle against the argument of people saying in some lost episodes, nothing happens, 
But it could not be more true of the Glass Ballerina, where it does feel like this is a moving the chains episode or yanking the chains. This is a chess piece episode where we're setting up a couple of things. We have to find out how the others get the Elizabeth. We have to get Sawyer and Kate like out in the open, so we'll finally get you know pieces moving along. And unfortunately, I think this is where you start to feel where maybe we didn't see that in Tale of Two Cities last week. Here we start to see a bit of the writer saying, we don't know what we're doing right now. So I don't know, build a runway. Exactly. You know, yeah. Where we you know, sail man. around to the north point of the island. Yeah, it, do, it does feel like even to the point that further instructions next week's episode, which I think we're going to have a lot to say about mm-hmm. that one, um, is uh, that was originally supposed to air as the second episode of the season, I believe. So there was even like a yeah. switch ruin the episode order. Um, so it, it does like sort of like reek of like, oh, not so sure what to do right now. Like there just does feel like not even necessarily like a lack of a sense of urgency because Saeed and the Quans are about to go to war with the others. Like that's pretty urgent. Um, you know, our friends have still been captured. That sucks. Like there's definitely still a sense of urgency under it, but it is, it is a little bit of like a, a water treading urgency to it. That yeah. is, um, uh, it is similar to a drift in many ways. I think this is a much more coherent episode than a drift. Right. And the highs of this episode are much higher, uh, than the highs of <laughs> well, a drift. Well, the highs of we'll... a drift are not that they're about at about sea level. Let me throw out a yeah. question here, Josh, because again, we're going to have a much larger conversation about the quality of this episode near the end. But let me put out a, a, a bigger question. Does Lost have an episode two problem? In that mm. we talk a lot about how penultimate episodes and often the finales are like big blockbuster events for the series. And I think it's also doted upon how the premieres are often pretty big events as well. But for some reason, most of the time, whether it's Tabula Rasa yeah. or Adrift or Glass Ballerina, for some reason, they're not able to pull off the dismount from like the craziness of a premiere into the second installment of the season. Yeah, you know, so uh, some potential exceptions to the rule. You know, I, I think you and I both enjoy uh, Tabula Rasa, but I think you would still, uh, very few people would argue that that is like, an elite, elite, top-tier episode. Yeah, I, it's it's still a definitive step down from the pilot, which is still an incredible episode, but still a pretty... The, the exception I'm thinking of right at the top of my head is maybe Confirmed Dead. Maybe, I, maybe, I'm biased maybe. with Confirmed Dead because it's a weird episode, <laughs> but I love those types of weird episodes. I think it's in contention for the best second episode of a season. I think The Lie, season five. Uh, I top 20s is- season ender of all time. You know, it, yeah, that's correct. And it also is going to have Hurley throwing a hot pocket. So that's fun. But it's not exactly glamorous, right? Like, it's not a blockbuster. It's not a big, uh, massively noteworthy thing. It's a good episode, uh, for sure. But it is not, like, outstanding. Um, I don't think that there is an outstanding second episode in All of Lost. Yeah, it's, I do I think mean, that it's, that's it's, right, and I think that there's you know one of the the very worst episodes of all of Lost is the second episode, uh, and mm-hmm. I think among the lower tier, uh, like what Kate does is going to be yeah. a second episode for the final season. That's a bit of a clunker, uh, and then this one isn't like a clunker. It's just it's it's fine. It's it's Lost. You know your characters are doing stuff, and you get to watch them do stuff. But like if you're expecting to have your socks knocked off, I don't think the glass ballerina is going to do it. Well, your red socks will not get knocked off because they <laughs> yeah. end up winning. Yeah, it's, the thing is that I think as we're going through this, you just start to see that, again, nothing is of bad quality. But what I will ask is maybe with the exception of the ending, when we leave the glass ballerina, 
what do we know that we didn't know going into it? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. which which I could say again, even some of the weirdest lost plots were built in sort of a way to build out characters or show them in new ways. The glass ballerina, and unfortunately, one of the reasons why the flashback doesn't really work overall is that we found out about sons you know a hinted at infidelity and ooh uh and found oh no uh sorry I, the whole tooth i believe is yeah is the big one but we finished the jay lee trilogy in this episode and it really does feel like this and doc in both their different ways are just sort of building on they sort of feel like they they found themselves in a dead end and now they're just going through you know through the roundabout trying to figure out like okay uh well Jin can't find out about what Sun's been doing so how do we create flashbacks around this yeah I do think that there is this there is a little bit of a feeling of like well it's been a minute since we've checked in on the Quans in a very personal way with a flashback so I guess we've got to advance that story um without like an intense amount of intention behind it um so I I feel that in this episode to the point where I know that we had some people writing in to ask us like so what is it? Why is this called the glass ballerina? What is it about the glass ballerina? What is the like? What is the deal with that? That was Ben Martell wrote in. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is the episode named after the glass ballerina? Is it some metaphor that I'm missing? And I think like it speaks to Sun's ability to like cover something up or but like we, but we a, already knew about that that's the thing like, like she's a been questionable whole, choice she spent like, all of yeah. season one not telling anyone when she spoke english and so we'll get to a moment later on when Said's like you don't have any experience lying in your life site he's like dude remember season one remember when sun completely outed the fact that she kept this language a complete secret and like the hot second when she kept things pregnant screw off saeed sun's think, an you know expert what? liar here here's my attempt you ready i gotta i'm gonna take a swing at the pitch uh you know, to keep it in the baseball terms, because we're talking Red Sox this week, even if baseball is a touchy subject right now. Um, okay, so the glass ballerina falls and mm-hmm. shatters, and Sun lies about how it happened and gets the maid fired, and presumably uh, that is a big deal for the maid, right? Like, a life may be ruined by Sun's choice here. Um, in the end of the flashbacks... Uh, Sun's inability to confront Jin in a more direct way over what's going on is going to... Uh, is it going to get Jay Lee to fall? He's going to shatter as well? I yeah, don't know. I will, I, I will say that I was the, there. I'm like hovering around it, I yeah, think. Th- there is, I think the most... Uh, the biggest connection is the image of the glass ballerina falling with Jay Lee's fall out the window. Granted, one is much less graceful than the other. There is sort of like a glass theme here. You know, when we talk, when we're going to get to that final scene when Ben tells Jack that like home is on the other side of the glass, we're obviously going to get to through the looking glass. So there just is like theme of glass. Uh, You know, I I maybe somebody is unbreakable in a certain manner of speaking. And so the glass is is, a portion there. Uh, Locke was in a wheelchair, much like Mr. Glass. Maybe that's another connection, even though he's not in this episode. Yeah, I guess that that could work. I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on. Uh, The Glass Ballerina is the name of the episode. The fragility of a lie, Mike. Uh, And the consequences of what happens when you don't tell the truth. People start falling out of the sky. Uh, (laughs) But it's just like, it's, it's fine, you know? That's on. That's happening on Lost this week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there are other things that are happening on Lost this week as well. But I think like a nothing burger feels harsh towards my favorite show. But even a nothing burger can be tasty. Yeah, you know, 
I, I'd can, rather. I mean, still I guess fill your belly with a nothing burger. I think I would. Yeah, I would love to present the argument too because I think there is some discourse out there in modern pop culture as to like is something bad worse than something that gives you nothing? Because when something's bad, you at least from a discourse perspective have something you can talk about. Whereas if something is fine or nothing, then there really isn't a lot of conversation stimulated along. Yeah. So I would because I, I I feel like. We're going to get into some more nothing burgers over the course of Lost. Like, this is not our oh, only sure. time in yeah, the diner yeah, yeah. ordering a nothing burger. Uh, so I'd be intrigued to find out. You know, I've been looking at my own ratings, and they might go up and down over the course of this podcast, depending on, like, how much do I mark down this episode for being so unremarkable, you know? Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that being said, we're over 10 minutes into this podcast. And we haven't really even talked about the episode yet. That may just be par for the course with you and me. Yeah. Uh, that we may be love more, to filibuster. <laughs> that may be more uh, emblematic of our problems than Lost's problems. All right. Well, let's get into it. Before we get into it, of course, information off the top. Uh, we, we said last week on uh, the season premiere podcast, that the schedule is going to be a, a tiny bit wonky uh, for the next couple of episodes. Just to remind you on that, further instructions season three episode three the john Locke goes to a pot farm episode is going to be releasing on august 8th that's a saturday we are missing the friday spot uh you have to get your feedback in for that show by august 6th and we are recording on august 7th which is typically when we would release this podcast but it's due to my schedule that we're pushing it by a day but hey good news every man for himself season three episode four is going to come your way early it's going to be dropping on august 12th smack dab on a wednesday in the middle of a week and that is because on august 15th 8 15 it's going to mark the one year anniversary of down the hatch on those magically numbered days uh 8 15 so get your feedback in for that it's going to be a, a podcast where mike and i are revisiting a year of coverage uh any feedback that you have that you want to talk about the podcast what what you've gleaned from it um funny takeaways anything like that this is just going to be a real uh inside the belly button type of podcast you can skip it if you want we're we're excited to do it, so we're going to do it. That's going to be uh, coming out eight fifteen. Get your feedback in by eight ten. I would say would be would be safe for that. We'll have some fun uh, clips from a year of going back to the island to play for you on that podcast. By a cost of living, the final Mister Echo episode. We will be back on track. Nothing to worry about there. That's going to drop on August twenty first. So that's just the next little while of podcast here on uh, down the hatch. You can get all that feedback into us down the hatch at Post Your Recaps. Dot com plus the Twitter at Post Show Recaps. I'm at Round Howard, Mike Bloom at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, with all of that said, let's go forth into the jungle, Mike. The Glass Ballerina, directed by Paul Edwards, written by Jeff Pinkner and Drew Goddard. I should note we didn't say this last week, um, but A Tale of Two Cities, the season three premiere. This was a shocker to me. I can't even believe that we forgot to bring it up. It's really my bad. I think we were, um, just, I think we were just pumped to get into the Juliet of it all. But yeah, this is a, a big astounding. Because yeah, while while some DJ characters... Yeah, while, it. while one shows up new to the scene, a purse of a prodigal son returns as J.J. Abrams and Lindelof worked on the teleplay with Damon working on the story. I'm not sure. Maybe we have to ask Ben behind the curtain. Like, I have not gotten the facts as to why this particular episode abrams came back to do the teleplay after he memorably did the pilot and then sort of left this is the only episode he'll come back for in the series history but i am just 
so intrigued as to why he felt like this one in particular. Maybe he felt like you know, he owed a favor to Damon or vice versa that he wanted to call him in and break the story. But maybe he just wanted to, you know, uh, sharpen his creative teeth uh, on loss, something familiar. You know, he's like, oh, I got to I got to I got to do I got to tap out some words about something to, to unblock. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next Star Wars movie. Well, yeah, I was going to say let's let's look at uh, the Abrams filmography and see what was sort of in. Yeah, so the, is, so Mission October Impossible Three was, was going to come out that year, out. so maybe he was in preparation for that. Could be, could be. Maybe you just want to go to the island, spend some time there. Uh, well, maybe maybe he was trying to get ideas for Cloverfield for Lindelof and was like, all mm-hmm. right, I'll hang around and help write a tale of two cities. Either way, uh, fun fun little factoid. All right, let's go forth into the jungle. Let's talk about the episode proper. And yes, it begins with a glass ballerina dropping, 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 gone, shattered, destroyed. Uh, and Sun accidentally knocked it over. His son is a little kid. Very cute. The kid who plays Sun. Really, really wonderful. Uh, and here comes Mr. Paik. Her dad, one of the worst dads on all of Lost. Oh, and that's really is amazing that you've got uh, Mr. Paik, son's father, a contender for the worst dad, and Jin's father being a uh, King Daddy, King Kwan. Daddy Kwan. Yeah, it's a it's a real great contrast of, of fathers. Uh, but he walks in, he's like, "Okay, son, yeah, son, <laughs> what? Uh, who broke the glass ballerina? The maid did it. Really? Yeah, seriously? Uh huh." Uh, and so she's going to blame it on the maid. He says, listen, if you tell me the maid did it, I got to fire the maid. So was it you? Because I can't fire you. You're my kid. Uh, she's like, yeah, no, the maid definitely did it. Uh, and so Mr. Pig's really annoyed about this. And he walks out. And I wonder if the annoyance is because the glass ballerina has broken or because he has to fire somebody uh, or that he's being lied to. I don't know. Maybe he maybe I don't know if Mr. Pig actually meant fire. Like maybe he just got the maid killed. Uh, yeah, he response. sent her a message. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one thing I noticed about the Mr. Pig and Byron Chung, specifically the actor who plays Mr. Pig, he's got a little bit of like a crazy eyes thing going on where uh, Byron Chung's when he's like in angry Mr. Pig mode, as we'll see several times, his right eye starts to close and it looks a little wincy, and it almost looks like there's an episode of Community, Josh, I know this is going past your head, but hopefully people understand, where Jeff learns how to fight, and he learns how to give, like, a, a, a creepy look where you just, like, wince one of your eyes and you stare uh, wide-eyed at, at the other person. And that is sort of what Mr. Pake's, like, angry wince is. For some reason, one half of his face, like, gets very serious while the other half is very angry. Yeah, well, he's getting really. There's something like he's not thrilled about any of this. I wonder what's the backstory of the glass ballerina. Yeah, Who gave I don't it know. To him? Well, I don't I think know. We'll find out in Lost Two when we find out that Mister Pake was uh, an integral part of the yeah, island. Maybe it's his own mistress got him a glass ballerina, mm-hmm. and so he has a lot of emotional attachment to that. Yeah, could be, could be Jay Lee's mom. Oh my God, that'd be a connected <laughs> web. Yeah, I like it. I like it. It's canon now. We're gonna, <laughs> the, the men, what, he was worried ballerina. that Sun and Jaylee would set up like a parent trap thing to get the two of them together. It's <laughs> a great idea. Oh my god! Can you imagine the parent trap of Lost? Um, oh. Who are some parents that uh, that they could try and set I up? Mean, like, Jack's an, mom is still alive. I was going to say in, 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 in the sideways with? universe, it could have been uh, if Christian Shepherd was still alive. It could have been Jack and Claire with Christian and Carol Littleton. Yeah. Imagine Jack's mom getting set up with Jin's uh, dad mm-hmm. uh, could be fun. Or like, uh, again, if David and Carmen Reyes had not reconciled, like David Reyes and uh, and Margot Shepard could have been an interesting couple. Is his dad named David? Uh, yeah, it is. 
Is it really? Yeah, his dad's named David. That's uh, Cheech's no, role. Oh my god, I don't know why I'm, I was blanking on the name of his father. Uh, but that's yeah. Because I think we, I think we just call him Cheech because it's Cheech oh Marin. But yeah, oh that's his name god. is David Reyes. Wow. Uh, yeah, there's just uh, an impossible amount of Davids in the Lost Canon. Um, yeah, I think uh, there's there's a lot of parent trapping that we could do. Uh, send send in your feedback on the parent trap front. We'd love <laughs> to know. Maybe we can we can have some fun with that. Um, all right, back on the island on the boat. Um, Sun is having morning sickness. She's not feeling well, and Jin is not thrilled about this because they've been out on the water for I guess like at least a day and a night. Yeah. Also, nobody's talking about the purple sky. Can we talk about how nobody's <laughs> yeah. talking about the purple sky? You, nobody's you would, talking about the purple sky. Yeah. No one like, has well, talked about the purple sky. We'll, we'll, we'll get into the clip, but Saeed wants to move for more practical reasons. He could have just easily said, like, the sky was purple. I the think that means we should move. That means we should move. talk about the fact that the sky was purple and that this is a problem? No. No one wants to talk about it. We're not going to discuss it at all. That's so annoying to me. Anyway, whatever. So he is really concerned of like, let's get out of here. Uh, Sun is not well, and we've been here for a very long time. And he's going to storm up to Saeed to try to give him what for uh, with Sun involved as well. We will listen in to sound number one. We got it. My husband says it's time to leave. He doesn't think Jack and the others are coming. It's been over a day since we lit the fire. They should be here by now. Jack knows we're out here. He's counting on our signal. Perhaps he's not able to see the smoke. If he's north of us, the mountains would block his We need to sail forward along the coast, clear the mountains, and start another signal fire. No! I told Jack I would light a fire. I'm not abandoning him. My husband thinks we have to do as he says, because he's the only one who knows how to say it. But he's wrong. I can help you sell the boat. <laughs> now it makes sense why Sun was the one to say boat, because she was essentially, again, calling, like, shotgun. Like, I can, yeah. I'm going to sail that thing. Boat. Yeah, she, maybe it was like, um, it was like Pavlovian. Like, she was just so excited mm. to see it that she couldn't help it. Boat! You know, yeah. So, uh, so this like, is squirrel. This is her, and this is another reason why. Again, I think this episode is a bit of a nothing burger. Is because the Jin and Sun stuff is going to be again a bit of a retread. We're starting to get a bit cyclical with Jin and Sun episodes, where it's going to be the episode starts and we sort of start in like season one Jin and Sun mode, where Jin is a bit of an a hole. He's controlling. He thinks he's no knows what's best for Sun, and Sun is like secretly a badass. She knows how to sail a boat. And then by the end of the episode, spoiler alert, Jin is going to reconcile with Sun, be like, oh, I'm so happy to have you. I love you so much. And then it repeats totally, the next yeah, Quan episode. Yeah. yeah, that does happen a lot. Like every episode with the Quans does often, if not every episode moving forward with the Quans, I think that the storyline is often um, like a very special episode. Like mm. we're mad at each other and then we're, we're totally fine again. Um, like that, that does seem to be like the energy behind their storyline for a lot of these flashback episodes. And it's just like, I think like that probably doesn't help matters for why, um, at least for me, uh, the Jin and Sun episodes often feel like they, they mix 
with each other mm. like events from one episode yeah. can feel like they're happening in another um i think it's definitely present here in the glass ballerina and i think for uh you know I, I think you identified something that is that is something i haven't really thought about a lot with with Jin and sun's episodes but i think it's definitely here yeah so i mean the thing is uh saeed it's going to turn out what his true intentions are later on i think actually let me ask you so saeed's going to admit to sun later on like Hey, uh, the reason I wanted to sail to this other place is not to start a fire. It's because I feel like our friends have been captured. Do you think he has that thought right yeah, here, or do you think definitely. he is he does sincerely want to sail to no, light another fire? Absolutely. Well, I do think that he has that plan in mind at this point. Um, but they are here a day, yeah, and no sign of Jack and the crew. He, and he has seen the fake village. Yeah, yeah, and and he, and he was the one to be the first suspector that Michael was up to no good. Yeah, I think that he is uh, probably like, mmm, this is bad. Mmm, this is a nothing burger. Yeah. Uh, so I think like he is he is definitely uh, concerned here. And I think like he doesn't know yet whether he can like tell Jin or Sun what he's actually planning. Uh, you know, time is a really important factor here. He doesn't have time to go and circle back to the beach and drop them off and then go and, and boat back. Like time is of the essence, uh, right. as he's going to find. It's like the, the tracks on the, on the pier are, uh, at least a day old. Uh, so, you know, he's really going to try and make moves here quickly. So I, I, I think he knows what's going on at this point. Whether or not Saeed ends up with a good plan, I think is debatable. Right. Um, but I think the fact that he is, he is trying to work on the fly here, it's definitely, um, I think he's already suspicious expecting that something has happened to the crew yeah and i think if you're looking at it from jen's perspective you also might make the assumption of like this dude does not want to be out at sea more considering the last time he went out to sea like i'm gonna have to really convince him uh you know saeed is someone to usually have a good read on people but i do feel like he hasn't had much interaction with the Quans up to this point that it is sort of a weird kind of bottle episode for the three of them that's another reason why i wanted to pull that clip is to see like the glass sort of bottle yeah, exactly. The sort of like weird three-hander that this A plot is of the three of them interacting, especially with Sun having to serve as the conduit between the two of them because of the language barrier. All right, so uh, we go back to Hydra Island. Jack's in his spot. Yeah, he's hanging I, do, out. Do we should we headcan that he's been there literally since the end of of, of, of a well, tale of two cities? I was wondering how uh, how much time do we think has passed? Because yeah, I I absolutely expect that uh, that Jack has just been chilling here. Yeah, I would uh, say. I mean, I imagine it, this is the day after the end, like the morning after the end of a tale of two cities, right? Because a tale of two cities ends with it being nightfall when Kate is put in the cell next mm-hmm. to Sawyer that I could imagine like I don't know why they would want to sit on putting them on rock picking duty for a couple days right like they want to put them to work immediately to begin the mental and physical torture yeah I think so I think that would make sense and I think it's it's gonna it's gonna connect with um why uh Kate is going to taste like strawberries. Yeah, right? she exactly. Ate strawberries at breakfast, and that's the thing we finally got. I think the answer because I, I think we got a couple of questions from people of like, well, yeah, you know, the whole fish biscuit thing with Kate from last week. Like, it's clear she didn't eat the breakfast, but if she tasted like strawberries, she had to have yeah, at, least at least a little a bit of, the, of unless she was like rubbing them on herself, like it was perfume. And there's very powerful strawberries if that is the taste that overrides the fish well, biscuit. Or it's because Sawyer's just been hounding down fish biscuits and he uh, is already like immune to the taste of fish biscuit yeah. that she is possessing. My thought is like, 
you know, I guess the strawberries, I would not imagine, I would not be surprised if there was, like, an, a garden on island. I don't know. I feel like there's gotta be some, like, weird growth stuff put into the fruits and <laughs> veggies that are grown on the island, considering, mm-hmm. like, how much the topography changes, that maybe those strawberries are unnaturally strong-smelling. Um, all right, so Juliet's going to return. She is showing up with a bottle of water. It's not glass, looks plastic, as well as a bowl of soup. Mike and Ugh. Eric Divestein had written in and said, let's just get to it. Mike, if Jack was a type of soup, what type of soup would Jack Shepard be? He is a chicken noodle soup, but it is loaded up with sriracha and tabasco because he is someone who runs hot and like stubborn with his taste like he's the one who'll have a taste and be like jack are you sure that's not too hard he's like nope not at all i can handle (laughs) this but i think his natural role as a doctor is to be able to like comfort and heal and so it makes sense why he would want to be that chicken noodle soup now granted as we talked about with his bedside manner it might not be that good of a chicken noodle soup maybe closer to a chunky soup than like your grandmother's recipe but that's sort of what i'm ruminating around is i guess the de facto what soup are you expert in the rhap universe okay chicken noodle soup for jack shepherd uh, could you do soups for everybody on the show not right now not right now like, but i think i think we uh, could certainly uh dote upon that i think I, i'd have to wait for like inspiration to come and okay, slash like have right. a soup menu in front of me <laughs> well, let me know if anything comes up we're here uh all right so Juliet's gonna give him the soup she's gonna leave she's gonna go to ben uh, we are gonna listen we're gonna we're gonna get that uh that clip that you played at the top of the podcast where yeah, she's but, gonna be with but, ben but not before ben sort of like sarcastically but i think also sincerely complains to her like you never made soup for me which i apparently according to lost pita is going to be a nice call forward to in a he's are you when i think roger linus is going to say a very similar thing to baby ben linus when he brings ben a sandwich about how he doesn't make sandwiches for his dad yeah baby benjamin linus uh yeah so he's gonna be annoyed you never made soup for me uh and uh here comes colleen to to break up what would have been a very awkward conversation where Juliet would be like Oh no! I did make soup for you that one time. It was a gazpacho. I put it in your fridge. You yeah. Never or, or she could be like, "Oh, that was a soup." You'd be like, "Oh, I'll make you plenty of soup when you know you're on your operating table and recovering yeah. from your surgery, which is why we're doing this in the first place." Yeah. Correct. All right. So Colleen, here she comes. Paula Malcolmson, uh, who's a, a really great actress, uh, Trixie of Deadwood. Uh, so like, she's already like I think like a known TV personality at this point. We're gonna we're, we've got some uh, some behind the scenes detail just to bring that in early uh from the ben behind the curtain uh no this is from you mike oh my gosh i'm looking at the feedback yeah, doc be, and this is something that you put in to here. be fair this is from mike from the past because we did mention this in three minutes when we met yeah. miss clue that it was the intention initially for the character of miss clue to be the one to, to be lead, in the colleen spot yeah to, yeah to lead the boat stealing expedition and subsequently get shot by sun instead they just come up with another other i think that's what we'll also experience this season is like a bunch of random named others are going to come into prominence and subsequently fade away and so they said okay uh, i guess this character colleen now i think she's going to last three episodes she's going to get shot here and i think she's actually going to die in every man for himself or maybe the cost of living so her life is going to be short on lost and i think that speaks towards her true purpose which really was she came to the island to die in a manner well of i speaking. think by, by by casting paula malcolmson like they're they're trying to like buy a little bit of what they would have bought with with killing miss clue here and what they do end up getting with miss clue later on is that they uh you know they introduced a really enigmatic character towards the end of season two and then to to kind of like kill them off and basically their next appearance not entirely their next appearance uh is a is a surprising move they can't do it here for whatever reason, so they create this new character who's played by like a, a recognizable fan favorite TV character right. for for a 
show, a prominent show of that time. Um, so I think that it's it's interesting. Like I I always remembered uh, being like, oh wow, uh, it just they used Paul Malcolmson the one time. Uh, Paul Malcolmson recently featured on Watchmen. Uh, so she's she's all over the place. Uh, she's a TV veteran. Uh, you, you see you see Paul Malcolmson absolutely everywhere. Um, but she's putting together a hit squad to go after the boat because oh my god, there's a boat and everyone's like, wait, there's a boat. How do you guys not know that there was a yeah, boat? I was I was wondering because obviously we'll see Ben has like, you know, uh the Matrix reloaded esque room of screens to watch everything on Hydra Island. You would think they'd have at least some knowledge of the Elizabeth, if not docking at the beach, at least like going around in a bunch of circles. Right? Maybe they didn't put two in together. Maybe they were so concentrated on the mission of, you know, getting the crew at the Paula Ferry dock that they didn't, you know, they didn't put someone in on the screens to watch things. But it does seem like maybe this is the first sort of sign of the veneer of the others cracking that's going to lead to their destruction at the end of season three. That they had no knowledge that a drunk Scottish man had just been sailing circles around the island for the past two weeks. There was a sailboat uh, at the island for three years yeah. in, da- in damaged condition, but it existed. For three years, there was a sailboat on the island. I know it's a big island, but you all have a motorboat. You're not just motorboating around the island every once in a while. Check the perimeter. Make sure everything's nice and tidy. Oh, gosh, there's a sailboat in that cove. And you, you have a sa- know about the sailboat. And you have a submarine. Like, you can very easily, like, ping the radar and be like, oh, there's something there. Okay, that's the boat. All right, we're going back. All right, whatever. Uh, Sawyer and Kate. Uh, are uh, there's a nice alarm clock with the yeah Sawyer gets another fish biscuit uh, and uh, there there here comes the others Danny yeah. Pickett showing up for the first time in a good little while Danny Pickett a big fan of the come here gesture of the single finger just like uh, wagging <laughs> come hither you. He, yeah he does yeah. that like twice in this scene yeah uh, so he's gonna summon Sawyer. He's going to hook him up with a lunchbox. Uh, you're going to need to keep up your strength. These fish biscuits are empty calories. They're nothing biscuits. <laughs> yeah, and I do. So uh, once again, they're sort of flanked by a secret service to take them to this mystery project. I did notice in the background, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, there is a very Michael-looking other that is working in this uh, sort Like of Michael reticule. Bloom? Yeah, not me, Michael Dawson. Uh, so it. I wonder, if, again, if that was purposeful or maybe it was a hint to like, Maybe Michael hadn't left the island. Maybe he was another the entire time, and that well, was you know, a different. You know, it's funny. Version. I I noticed a Sawyer-looking other. Interesting. Uh, is that the one? Lo- is that the one who's macking on Juliet? Yeah, the the one who's macking on Juliet. When we see Juliet at the runway, looks like Sawyer. Has like sort of like a Sawyer wig on. Yeah, he's got he's got uh, like the swooped over uh, beachcomber hair. And maybe we're still like leaning into the bad twin stuff to a certain <laughs> certain extent. Not to trigger you, John Krause. Uh, all right, so uh, here comes Colleen to give some news to Danny. Uh, clearly, from the body language, these two are lovers, uh, and Sawyer picks up on that. Danny doesn't like that Sawyer is peeping on the the conversation, uh, but uh, Sawyer Sawyer is at least going to. This is important for Sawyer to see that Colleen and Danny are a thing. Mm. I think for us to like sort of uh, contextualize why Danny is going to take so much aggression out on Sawyer. After Colleen dies. Yeah, so uh, interestingly, if you connect the dots, Sawyer is sort of responsible for Colleen's death. I think a lot. some people allege that one of the reasons why Son ends up shooting Colleen is because the concept of the others has really put her on edge because she was quote-unquote kidnapped by the others last season during the long con, which was a scheme from Sawyer. 
Right, right, right. That's interesting. So it's sort of like uh, if you give a mouse a cookie, it ends up this whole chain of events that leads to someone's wife dying. Hey, I want a cookie. All right, so uh, back on the boat, Sun's going to apologize to Jin for disagreeing with him in front of Saeed. Jin doesn't like that she disagreed with him at all. Uh, he's like, I don't even know why you came. She says, you know why I came. I don't want to be without you. Uh, and we find out that at least once upon a time in the past, there was a time when Sun would prefer to be without Jin. Let's listen in. What's wrong? What's wrong is I'm married. Right. Right. I don't want to share you anymore. Your English is excellent now. You can go to America. And then a knock comes. And then there's a knock at the door. It's angry Mr. Paik. And uh, you can't see it, but it's Jay Lee is offering son a present he's got a pearl necklace for her yeah and the funny thing is an announcement it takes son reaches for it and then he snaps it closed and then she giggles <laughs> picky woman i believe was the original title of the oh, oh my gosh well, that's that's good that's good <laughs> that's good we'll see it again uh we'll see the pearl necklace again uh, that's the that's the station, right? The Dharma, the pearl necklace. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna yeah. see it in a couple episodes. I, I think I, I finally had an epiphany in this scene, Josh, as to why Sun ends up, you know, betting Jay Lee, and they have a momentary tryst here. Is I think what Jay Lee represents is the con- is breaking conventions. You know, he's someone who, when we first meet him in Uen, found said, "Oh, you know, we can just keep up appearances, but I'm actually gonna leave my family and like go stateside." and find somebody and now he's once again breaking conventions by sleeping with a married woman clearly this is a guy who's like screw the patriarchal society of korea i'm going to do what i want and knowing sun kwan or sun paik that is a big theme of her is that she felt like because of the societal circumstances she has been under the thumb of so many different men her entire life that to me a guy that is so like free-spirited reverberates with her in a certain perspective so i understand why she does, you know, fall for him in that way, also combined with the fact that he also happened to be, like, the right person for her in that moment when she felt so abandoned by her husband. Yeah, uh, that tracks. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Also, Jay um, Lee uh, makes sense. He's pretty cut as well. When we get to see him shirtless, like, he's got he's got a nice bod going on. Jay Lee is dope, dude. I feel bad for Jay Lee. I think Jay Lee seems like he was a pretty good guy. Seems like he has uh, son's best interests at heart here. He's getting her nice stuff. He's promising to take her away from a tough situation. Um, for all that Sun knows right now, her uh, her husband is a hitman at this point. She's had a difficult life. Jay Lee is offering to give her a better life, uh, but a a, a a a tragedy of errors. Can't call it a comedy of errors. A yeah. lot of bad things are going to happen that are just uh, no one's communicating right. Yeah, it's it's a very it's this flashback seems almost Shakespearean. 
in like the oh the irony of things being communicated or not being communicated leads to a series of unfortunate events so as you mentioned mr paik barges in here why do you think or how do you think he found out because when the knock at the door comes jaylee initially turns to sun and says does anyone know that you're here and she like mm-hmm. emphatically says no do you think it's just like her father's goons had tailed her yeah and, and found sure. out that she was you know i'm assuming they're in the hotel of, of jaylee's family right now yeah that's why he seems like so well <laughs> imagine him being at a different hotel i <laughs> guess like maybe there's some sense to that but he feels like he's got security on lockdown in this hotel and that's why it seems to me like he's so upset when somebody barges in but then when it's mr Pake, it's like yeah you answer to mr Pake. yeah mr Pake isn't somebody you say no to well especially um, because as mr Pake, we know this before but mr Pake will say at jaylee's funeral that he does business with the family and again if as much as of a rule breaker jaylee might be the concept of honor in korea is so sacrosanct that like if he even though you don't like mr pake if he walks in you like still respect him and also it's kind of just like well what do you do this is such a bad awkward situation right now everything about this is very bad yeah exactly and so i mean we have to wonder where the conversation left off because again mr pake is going to now take the mentality of like we'll get into his manipulation of Jin or manipulation as it were, but he's, I, I don't know if he just like walked out after that almost wordlessly, if he and son had a harsh conversation, I'm not sure. Uh, or if they just sort of let things at like one look and now son has to live with the fact that her father knows who's a very powerful man. Well, they'll have a conversation deeper in the episode, but for now, at least it's, it's get dressed, get out of here. Uh, very, very uncomfortable, bad under any circumstance. Uh, and I believe the last time that Jay Lee and Son will be in a room together. Yeah, at least from from what we see on screen. Because I'm not because I'm not sure when uh, I'm not sure when Pake sends the hit out. On probably Jay pretty Lee. quickly. After so you think we think good. Jin visited him that night? I don't know about that night, but probably shortly thereafter. Yeah, I mean, Pake was looking at that lattice, being like, "All right, I want him to get thrown through there, so I got to make sure to tell Jin that." It does seem like it probably happened pretty quickly after this. Uh, but we'll get into that in a little bit. We go back to the island, uh, and Kate and Sawyer are going to be taken to uh, their their new work detail, uh, where the others are hanging out, uh, just you know, chopping rocks as you do. And they're going to find out what they are uh, being drafted into. Let's take a listen. All right, here's the jig. See these rocks here? That's where you two come in. You're going to chop them loose, and you're going to haul them out of here. You expect me to work in this dress? It's up to you. You can take it off if you want. How dare you? If you need anything, you raise your hand. You get ten minutes for lunch. I got a question, boss. No questions. So you got to ask a question. If you try to run off, you will be shocked. Shot? Oh, don't even get a warning? Shocked. I said shocked. If you talk to each other, you're going to be shocked. If you touch each other, you're going to be shocked. If you're slacking, you're going to get shocked. Matter of fact, you do anything at all that pisses me off, you're going to get shocked. Okay? Let's get to work. Just, I don't know why this scene is so funny. I got a question, boss. I mean, it's like so I don't know why, but for some reason, Danny Pickett's line of shocked, I said shocked, is so exasperated. Like, what I, re- what I, what I realize is that, you honestly, know, in this wonder- scene in particular, Sawyer is the Bart Simpson to Danny yes. Pickett's principal Skinner. Yes. Of, like, just yes. being such a huge thorn in his side. Yes, well, people often wonder why Danny Pickett gets such a hate into Sawyer specifically. And Sawyer's just such an obnoxious <laughs> a-hole here. You know, he's just so, like it is. It is that he is Bart. 
He's the Bart man right now. <laughs> oh, I love it. And I love, I, I cut, you know, a positive, but there's a really great, uh, Josh Holloway continues, like, his great comedic performance as Sawyer, where uh, Pickett says the obnoxious line to Kate of, like, yeah, you could take the dress off. And Sawyer turns to Kate and, like, gives a sexy glower to her, and then turns to Pickett, feigns offense, and goes, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? How dare you? Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very, very funny stuff. Great comedic timing from Josh Holloway. I think another thing that's, uh, that's, that's fun about this and you saw it with the Tailies to a certain degree, but the Tailies and the 815ers were only like surface level oppositional. And if they were oppositional, it was only for a short period of time. Mm. The others and the 815ers are not ever going to be like fully on the same page. No, except for uh, Juliet, they, but she doesn't really Yeah, know. but like as a rule, like as a group, they're really not. Um, and uh, Sawyer uh, mouthing off against somebody who's on the opposite side of the battlefield, right? Like this is actually not something that we've seen too much of. Usually he's taking the piss out of uh, people that he's sharing a beach with. Mm. Here he's, you know... He's like clapping back at the boss as he's a prisoner of war. Uh, so uh, it's a funny look. It's it's really 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 funny stuff. And and Sawyer in this episode, uh, he's, he's he's got a lot going on. Yeah, I don't know why. I just again love Pickett's line reading. Uh, Michael Bowen of like if you do shocked. this, you're, you're gonna get shocked. If you do this, you're gonna get shocked. Again, to make a sentence reference, it's the that's a paddling of yeah. Lost, where like if you do anything, you're gonna get shocked, not shot. Luckily. Yeah, so uh, that's the that's the rule. Kate doesn't want to do anything until she sees Jack, and Pickett responds to that by shocking Sawyer. <laughs> Again, it's not supposed to be funny. This one is definitely supposed to be a bit more of like a turn from comedic into horror-filled as to the power that Pickett provides. But yes, Sawyer gets the first instance, and it's only a quarter charge, and he's still like, Sawyer's now three for three episodes in a row of getting shocked, unfortunately. Yes, so he's been shocked. Uh, in the past, we are going to see uh, Jin meeting Mr. Paik. This is where Mr. Paik's going to say, I need you to put an end to some guy who's been, uh, who's been messing with me. This dude's been stealing from me. It's Jay Lee. Slides the picture over. You're going to need to deliver a message. Uh, as Jin says, I'll deliver a message, is what he says. And Mr. Paik says, no, we've done that before. You did the message thing. That's not going to be good enough. Gonna need you to off this guy. Uh, you know, it doesn't outright spell it out, but it's really clear. It's not, you know, if it's subtext, it is very barely underwater. Uh, and Jin's gonna say, "All right, well, if you're telling me to kill people, I'm not gonna do that. I quit." Uh, and Mr. Pig says, "You don't get to quit." Mm. Yeah, this is. So let's talk about this. In terms of, because Pig obviously is using a lot of tactics here, and we're gonna get into his main form of manipulation right after this. Why do you think he chooses to not let Jin know about this situation? Do you think probably because he doesn't want like he wants to kill this guy so that it never happened, you know, mm. like so that none of this ever happened and he never has to think. So about that it so then again. if Jin did kill because you could say like if you want an emotionally charged Jin to want to kill somebody, it would make sense to say this guy slept with your wife to like send him over the edge. But to your point. It could also, like, get out that, you know, oh, Mr. Pake's daughter slept with this guy and her husband got revenge. You're yeah. saying that essentially he wants to erase the entire narrative Correct. by having Jin he never wants do to think about it. He doesn't want it to be a thing. It's a thing that happened, but he wants to compartmentalize it in a coffin in the ground. You know, like, that's what he wants. And he will feel narratively better if Jin is the guy who does it. You know, like, he yeah. doesn't need Jin to know, but Mr. Pake will feel better. And, bl- and blood off his hands as well. And he could also, when asked, be like, oh, well, he knew that she was sleeping with him. And so it was the jealous husband. I had nothing to do with it. 
But and I will- is there something to this idea of when he says, you, uh, you married my daughter, Jin, that makes you my son, your Ugh. shame, my shame is your shame. Um, is this just pure manipulation? Like yes. Outright pure manipulation? Or is there some, some truth to the, to the feeling behind it for Mr. Paik, which doesn't make it any less problematic? Uh, it's still very problematic. Uh, but I think either way, um, you know, he is, he's like trying to offload some of this emotional burden onto Jin without having to spell out what happened. He doesn't want to talk about it. I think it's 100% manipulation because, again, look at how in previous flashbacks Paik has regarded Jin. Which yeah, is but times have changed. Like maybe he's been getting really good at delivering these messages. Maybe apparently he's not. Pig said, "Don't do what you did last time." So clearly, like he's getting by. But I really do feel like you know, Pig drops. He knows what he's doing. He's going to drop the sun reference because he knows that's what Jin wanted to do. That's why he took the job was to quote Desmond to get his honor back and or to get honor in the first place. And so when when Pig specifically brings up, you know you have to keep our family's honor by doing this. He knows what he's getting with Jin. He's hitting him right where it hurts. And granted, Jin's not going to go forward with the deed, but you have to think, and I would imagine this is also a pivot on Paik's part because Jin, for his part, you know, I think this is probably the residuals from uh, Ooh in translation where he's like Mm -hmm. feeling a lot of guilt about what he's been doing, says, no, no, I'm not going to be your lapdog anymore. And Paik's like, okay, well, if he's biting back, then I have to change my tactic here. Let me try to come in with the more emotional response as, you know, facilitated as it may be. Yeah, coming out with, uh, you're my son. Uh, that hits. Uh, and Jin's going to, like, he's going to sit on that. He's like, wow, he called me son. I mean, I guess, like, he well, must I'm be real emotional I'm, duress. Technically, I'm Jin, yeah. but okay. Yeah, he must be under real <laughs> duress if he thinks I'm his daughter. Uh, so the sailing team, they're going to find a dock. Whoever built it, they're not there now. Um, Said's going to be, you know, looking around. He's like, okay, this is the spot. Oh, the visibility here is going to be great for a fire on the beach. Jack will definitely find us. Yeah, it's and, and, it's like, and the dock really safe. It happening? hasn't been used in the past couple of days or anything. Yeah, this is the spot. This is the spot. Meanwhile, back at Hydra Island, uh, Kate's going to see Alex is in the jungle. She's asking about Carl. Um, Alex is also going to compliment Kate on her dress. Because it's, it's her hers. Dress. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess good you. thing that Alex and Kate are the same size. Also, again, weird on Ben's part to put Kate in one of his dresses, even recontextualizes that dinner last week or that breakfast last week, even creepier. But you mentioned it before. Juliet is at the work site, and it really does seem like for these first few episodes, Juliet is just like everywhere. And I yeah. feel bad for her. She's been given so much to do when really she should have one job. Like there's enough others to delegate these tasks out. She doesn't also have to be at the work site and shocking Sawyer and taking care of Jack. Well, it's possible that she's not, um, you know, in like heavy work mode here right now. Maybe she's just hanging out. Maybe like her friends and the others are mostly on runway detail. Mm. Uh, at least the ones on Hydra Island. So she's just chilling with her peeps yeah. with her Do friends. We, Maybe it's her lunch break. I probably wouldn't be Danny Pickett, right? Because we listened to this in the intro clip. From my assumption from Elizabeth Mitchell's line reading, it's that she and the Picketts do not necessarily see eye to eye. Yeah, well, you know, she does kill him. Yeah, exactly. And also, the way that Colleen regards her seems to maybe hint towards a past of, like, if not outright derision for one another, at least, like, a, you know, like they're not part of the book club. Maybe they were, and, the, and Julia kicked them out, and that's why they're so angry with her. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, uh, she's, uh, Kate is gonna have interacted with Alex. I think it's a cute moment. Uh, that's my dress. You can keep it. It looks better on you, and she runs off. Uh, and Sawyer is ogling Kate. Kate says, stop staring at my ass. And Sawyer says, give me something else to stare at. Uh, classic freaking Sawyer. Um, 
All right, back at the the sailing team, uh, they're making that bonfire, and Sun is hip to what Saeed's got going on. She can tell that there's some shenanigans afoot, uh, and she wants to know what the shenanigans are all about, and Saeed is going to fill her in. Why are you lying to me, Saeed? And what would you know about lying, son? You're putting our lives in danger. I'm fairly certain our friends have been captured. There are tracks all over the dock. They're fresh. As recent as yesterday. You said this dock was abandoned. That would be part of the lying you mentioned. You're not building this fire for our people. You're building it for the others. I suspect that when they see the smoke, they'll send a scout party to investigate. By then it will be night. When they arrive, I'll ambush them. I'll take two of them hostage, and I'll kill the rest. Two? One to make the other cooperate. What do you need me to do? I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to ask you to lie to Jim for another 20 minutes. Why? Because once the fire is lit, it will be too late to go back. Okay. All right. So Saeed has revealed his plan. Uh, son, you got to keep lying. It's sort of the theme of the episode, so just stay on message. You remember the glass ballerina? <laughs> remember when you lied and got the maid fired? I was that uh, maid. I know yeah. you lied. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's gonna. He, he's. We're building a signal fire. They're gonna send scouts. Gonna kill everybody. Take two hostages. One will make the other one talk. Good plan in theory. But no accounting for the travel by water possibly. Uh, I mean, listen, this is what failed them in Homecoming, right? That they're like, oh, the others came by water, and so they killed Scott because uh, Steve is a leave. And so- it's a good thing for Saeed that people die in this episode and Mr. Paik is in this episode. Otherwise, I think he would be facing the possibility yeah. of a very rare LVP point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I might be tempted to do it by the end because, yeah, I mean, he he nearly gets Sun killed and he loses the boat in the process because- he is so convinced that he has set this up. Now, granted, he will sort of get a second chance at it during Through the Looking Glass and succeed, uh, you know, partially so in that regard as well. But there's a lot of Saeed explaining in that clip, starting with the thing that I mentioned before. Of what would you know about lying, son? Despite the fact that she has shown her capabilities as a liar beforehand, that he really does underestimate her. That is also a theme of Sun. Up to the point, I would say. Oh, really- I, I, I thought that he was like throwing that back at her as like, uh, are you judging me for lying. Oh, so you mean there's like some sarcasm there? Yeah, that's I, how I did I not. Read it. I did that's not detect that from the human lie detector, yeah. but I would hope that that be. Uh, you know, that that would be the case at least. That's not- how when he goes, "What would you know about lying?" Like, struck me as like, you know, uh, it takes one to know one. Yeah, I mean, my that would be my hope, and I like the fact that Saeed feels like he could see eye to eye with Sun. But poor Jin, I just feel so bad that this guy's running theme has been like, he's so in the dark about everything, whether it's due to a language barrier, or in this case, purposely being left out of information. Yeah. 
uh, I I really love the that was part of the lying you mentioned. Yeah, is a, is also a good nice, fun, badass side moment of you know taking two ho- others hostage, one to make the other cooperate. Like that is the guy who tortured people for a living. Yeah, he has the, he, he has great you know he's got a pretty good plan here. It's just not accounting for like full coverage of the area. And granted, I think maybe he thinks he's going to be doing all of this himself, or is going to have to like coerce Jin into being involved. Mm-hmm. But maybe he should have put Jin on the boat with some at least exactly and like take it himself maybe because i guess the beach is a pretty wide area for him to take aim but like i don't know maybe he also trusts sun if he if he now is a bit surprised by sun in how observant she is he'll be like she'll be fine on her own and granted she is to a certain extent she doesn't die but she also helps lose the boat yeah um, in a flashback, Jin and Sun, they're going to sit down together at the end of a long day. And it is a very long day if you imagine that this is the same day that uh, Sun got busted sleeping yeah, with her is, secret boyfriend. This, this, yeah, this, this flashback sequence is really just an episode of 24. You know, if you think about it that way, this is a tough day. Uh, Jin's going to say, your dad called me Sun today for the first time. Uh, he must really be losing it. He thinks I'm you. Uh, and she's saying like, hey, do you think like maybe we could just get out of here? Because it's still a possibility. So like you see it even here from Sun that her preference, her ultimate preference would be like, Jin, I love you. Stop killing people. Stop mm-hmm. being a murderer and let's run away and like throw all of this behind us and start over. Like that still is her number one. That makes sense that that is going to, you know, uh, that thinking is, is going to be present in the airport when she chooses to stay with Jin. She loves him, right? Like she's, she loves him at the end yeah. of the day, even if, you know, she is, she is seeking like help from, from other avenues, like emotional and literal help. Um, and Jin is, is, is not sure how he gets out of this. He doesn't know what to do. This is what it takes to be married to you, he says to Sun, which is such a shitty thing to say. Yeah, I mean, well, this is also, I wonder how long this took after the infamous sink scene where he says something very similar to her, right? Of like, I do this because your father tells me to. Uh, and he says something here where I do what it takes because it, that's what it takes to be married to you. I also wonder, so Saeed, ta- I mean, uh, Saeed's son talks about going to America. Jin's idea in the airport, or at least when he gets on the plane, right, is to deliver the watch and then run away with Sun. Do you think he got that idea from Sun? Maybe. Uh, could be. Could be that she's sort of like the generator of that idea. I like that. Yeah, I mean, and, um, and if that makes sense, again, it's it's all too tragic that he doesn't tell her when they're getting on the plane of like, okay, just so you know, like, we're going to drop off this watch and then take off. I'm sure uh, some would be much less, you know, eager to possibly meet up with that person and ditch her husband at the terminal if she knew that he had a plan. They get into a big fight, and Jin's getting ready to leave. She's like, where are you going, Jin? He says, to deliver the message. So we'll see the delivery much later on uh here jin is uh he's had enough of, of uh son and saeed's bullshit he knows what's going on he goes up to saeed asks for a gun he says gun and saeed's like i don't know that i get it uh, <laughs> uh what are you saying uh, i don't speak korean and um, son having son one of those, those rare parallel lines he knows i betrayed him because he sure didn't in the flashback yeah so he knows he knows i betrayed him he says he speaks and understands English better than I think he does. I mean, they are on a boat, so that's where, like, his natural environment, where he first learned to speak English. Maybe his powers are more uh, prominent uh, the more time he spends out at sea. So mm, after, that, so, so that's why he gets the super sperm, as he spends so much time out on the raft, right. and when he came back, they were 
fully charged. Correct. I think that that helped. Uh, and I think that also helps explain how he was able to swim all the way back from the raft to the island. Mm-hmm. And one uh, and will once more at the end of season four, and that he's somehow able to get enough proximity to the island after the freighter explodes to get sucked up in the time stream. Yeah. Uh, it's a shame that Jin never found the waterfall, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Until at least season five. And maybe that explains it, because he's going to find Jack and Hurley and Kate by the waterfall in the 1970s, and that's when we're going to see that he speaks fluent English at this point. Um, Maybe uh, Jin spent a ton of time reading English dictionaries in the waterfall, uh, and the water was charging his powers and making it possible that he could just, like, maximally learn all of the English he needs to learn. I am here for Jin going full, like, Tuck Everlasting, and that the waters of the island give him special powers, like speaking English and and sperm. Yeah, so I think our Captain Planet crew is starting to come together. Michael is Earth, right? Because he's a plant, he could turn into a plant, and Jin is water. Um, I think we we need fire, wind, and heart. Well, Hurley's I guess, probably heart, yeah, right? Yeah, maybe Charlie can be fire because he's he burned down the raft. He burned things once. Or Walt could be like the we fire. Could do better. We could do better. Uh, he he was fire plus water. He didn't Ooh. quite hit either. Um, yeah, we, he divided his attention. Wind. I wonder who can be wind. Like who controls the breezes? Well, let's, it'll come to us. It'll, it'll come, come to we'll us. Somebody it will it'll, it'll, it'll come up good... naturally with the soups. You know, so, uh, Sawyer's a, is a lot of hot air, blows a, mm-hmm. a blow hard. Maybe he's wind. Uh, maybe Henry Gale was wind and the wind went awry for him. <laughs> that suck if one of the members of Captain <laughs> Planet is a dead man. <laughs> Walt may have been fire because he set the raft on fire. So uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out another time. Um, all right. So uh, Saeed has now been convinced. All right. So Jin's part of this. Jin is not thrilled. He's going to get a gun. Maybe Sun should go to the boat. Uh, there's a blue tarp on the boat. There's a gun inside uh, in case they get past us. And she says, if they get past you, my husband is dead and I won't care anymore. And so it's like, yeah, that's what that's what the gun's for. Yeah. And also he'll be like, yes. And you'll feel that way basically throughout all of seasons four, five and six. And we will see that firsthand. Yeah. So that's it, it's, the- it's a nice little precursor to like badass deadpan son post the, the, the freighter explosion. Yeah. Uh, so if only he had said like, all right, maybe Jin should go with Sun. You guys, you know, can protect each other. And then there's two people on the boat. Like, maybe just think like they've come to you by boat so many times. When they've come to you, they've really come to you by boat. Yeah, <laughs> they have mostly come to you by boat. You're at a pier. Yeah, it's, it's probably it's like one of my one of my land like thirty at sea. When in terms of yeah. the others at this point, and I wonder, well, I wonder if Saeed thought that they they wanted to steal the boat, or if instead they thought they were just wanted them. You know, maybe maybe he was flummoxed by the idea that they didn't give a lick about those three as much as they wanted the actual boat itself. Maybe. Um, all right, back at the runway. This is where we see Juliet. She's shooting the shit with a guy in a Sawyer wig. He kind of looks like James Marsden. Yeah, or like face. or like James Marsden with like doing West Snail cosplay with that hair. Yes, yeah. So he's got the he's got the hair. Juliet and Sawyer. Uh, their second exchange of the series is going to be Juliet throwing Sawyer a canteen, mm-hmm. and Sawyer <laughs> responding by pouring the canteen out right in front of her. Yeah, it's going to deny the water. Uh, and again, we're we're jumping ahead, but uh, in uh, in the audio commentary um, from Elizabeth Mitchell from A Tale of Two Cities in her conversation with Damon Lindelof, uh, she had said that uh, she's totally into Jack, but Sawyer's powers do not work on Juliet. She's kind of past the whole Sawyer thing. Um, does that make sense, considering that Juliet and Sawyer are supposed to be 
uh, end game, Mike? Um, or does this does this fall in line with that idea of like sometimes you don't know that you've been with the one the one was staring you in the face the whole time and you had no idea, yeah, man. You poured out her canteen. You poured I mean, out her canteen. She this was is going right to be a, a weird time where I compare my own relationship to that of of Juliet and Sawyer. But there <laughs> oh, is God, I'm terrified. But there is a thing about Angela. So Angela and I met by traveling through time. Exactly. But uh, and we we. You, we touched hands at a candy bar and that's how we got back together. Um, But there is something Angela has said many times that, you know, she and I were friends for years before we got romantically involved. And that's, this happens a lot, right? And and she, but she basically said like he needed to grow up. And I wonder if that's a similar case here where from what Juliet is perceiving from Sawyer, like you said, he's acting like Bart Simpson. He's sort of acting like a a 10 year old churlish child And it's not until in seasons four and five when he has the ability to actually prove he has, you know, a sense of maturity and even a sense of leadership that she begins to see those qualities in him. So, you know, if if she's a she everyone's gone through a Sawyer phase and she sort of feels like she's done with that two dimensional type. It's not until she gets to know him and explore that third dimension and he grows as a person that they really start to develop as a couple. All right, for now, Sawyer is a Kate man, right? So oh, he's yeah. going to see Kate's chopping rocks. And yeah, the, he, he, he ditches the wheelbarrow and says, kiss me, Kate. Yeah, kiss me, Kate. The Giacchino music sets in. Uh, he drops the wheelbarrow. He goes for the kiss. Uh, and it's at least partly uh, an opportunity to suss out the others, right? Pickett shows up, hits him on the back of the head, goes for the second hit, and Sawyer grabs the gun. This is all sorts of scuffling. He's able to to determine some details about them. We'll get into that later. Um, but what we do get as well here is this great moment where Juliet grabs Kate, puts a gun on her mm-hmm. very casually, says, put the gun down. Uh, and that is going to be what disarms Sawyer. Well, not only that, um, she says, put the gun down, James. Right. She knows his name. She knows his name. Put the gun down, James. And like right there, like that's giving him a lot of information of like she means business. Yeah, she hasn't seen the book, but he knows that she knows him. His read on her is going to be that um, that Juliet would have killed Kate. No problem. And I don't think that's true because I think that really would have screwed things up. Uh, I think uh, I think that if 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 Juliet killed Kate, it would have been a problem. Uh, and she she knows that. So that would have been a drastic action. And this is something that they can untangle. So I think it's a misread of Juliet in the same way that maybe Juliet is not quite reading Sawyer for for what he's worth. But she is able to cause that misread. Uh, she's able to totally catch him off guard, both with like the re- like no amount of fists are going to stop Sawyer in this moment when just the, the threat of harming Kate is going to be the thing. And also by using your your given name, uh, which is not a name he likes. Um, so props to Juliet for showing this other side of her as a character at this point. Um, like we've seen like some of the manipulation from Juliet at this point in the first episode. But here I think you're getting like uh, this stone cold side, this really like quick on her feet, calculating action hero possibility from Juliet that I really, really love. I also want to give it up to Sawyer, though, too, because he is able to subdue, or maybe not subdue, but at least send three armed others sprawling. Like, say what you want about Sawyer probably being, like, dehydrated, you know, really only eating fish biscuits and probably tired out of his mind and still probably feeling the effects of the drugs. And the fact that he was able to brawl pretty well with those three, as he talks about later, he's like, yeah, this is going to be a little easier than we thought, at least. It's not a complete tiger pit we need to climb out of, because these others are not great fighters. 
Yeah, they're not. He could take them if he has to, even the martial arts dude. Um, so that's what's going on there. He is going to get his butt kicked, though, uh, after he puts the gun down. He's gonna yeah, get Pick- Pickett's going to get some revenge because he's the one that really got, like, decked by Sawyer. Yeah, he gets shocked. Uh, at night, the others are coming. They're on the boat. Son! Yeah, there's, like there's, trying there's, to make there's, tea there's a fun the little are storm in the party. Uh, we talked about, you know, horror moments in Man of Science, Man of Faith. This is another, like, when a stranger calls-esque type of invasion horror film, right? Was the shot of the others advancing on the boat. It is a little creepy. Uh, and then we get the flashback of, of Jin goes to Jay Lee, and it's very violent. And Jin is throwing Jay Lee around. Yeah, he throws him through the lattice and then throws him through a glass table as well. Well, I think he's fired up because, you know, he's had a fight with his wife. He's being, like, supercharged by what uh, what Mr. Paik said. Um, he doesn't even need to know what Jay Lee is all about and his relationship to Sun to be pretty fired up. But, of course, Jay Lee just thinks that this is the reckoning of, of Jin Kwan um, and uh, of Jin knowing what's going on between Jay Lee and Sun. And when Jin finally decides to like pull his punches like he has the gun on him he has it on the pillow he's about to do it and he can't do it he's just not a killer he's not gonna do it i love that moment from daniel day kim where he even lets out like a frustrated grunt of like ah even when you know i'm at like the the brink when i'm the most able to kill somebody i still can't do it and again that says so much about Jin as a character in that point and so he decides to instead send a message uh he threatens him saying you leave to go to america and if you come back, basically, I will end this. I will, you know, continue this conversation. So I guess the question as we get into the jump of it all is, why do you think Jay Lee ultimately does what he does? Why does he not take Jin's advice and what he gave really advice know. to Sun and just leaves for America? Yeah, I, I wish I knew. Um, I, I don't have a great because I, I do think it, it, it feels fairly contrary to what we know about Jay Lee, but we don't know a ton about Jay Lee. Uh, he went off to America. It didn't work out there, obviously. He came mm-hmm. back. Maybe he did um, something like really bad in America that got him kicked out of the country, and that's why he can't go back. Or, you know, whatever. Like, it didn't work out there. Uh, and this is a person who has clearly felt, like, pretty, like, lost in um, his life here, where, like, he didn't want to inherit the hotel industry. He studied Russian medieval literature or whatever. Uh, you know, he wanted to go to America with the with the woman he met over there. It clearly didn't work out. He came back here. He wanted things to work out with Sun. It's not going to work out with Sun. Um, this may just be a person who is so beaten down by life that in this very traumatic moment where earlier in the day, Mr. Paik saw him, you know, paid him the personal visit. Now the husband has shown up, gun in hand. Um, maybe he just feels like it's it's all over at this point anyway. Um, it's very sad. It's very sad. And, and we should note because, like, th- there could be a contingent of people being like, well, what if Jay Lee uh, didn't kill himself? What if this was, uh, you know, what if someone else was there? And, yeah, and well, what if, what if someone pushed him out? Like, I know there was um, speculation at the time that Sun might have been involved or that mr paik like comes out of the shadows after jen leaves to take care of it himself the intention from damon and carlton is that this was suicide uh that that uh jay lee's uh uh uh, dies by suicide here that he he leaps from the window uh and that is that is of his volition and he's holding the necklace all the way down like his last declaration of love for sun and that's and, and that's i think more poetic for me And I think maybe that also goes back to why he doesn't go to America is because I think at this point, you know, he says in that clip that we play before, like, I'm tired of sharing you. I think at this point, he is hopelessly devoted to Sun in a manner of speaking. Here comes that Lindelof song in a few weeks. Uh, And I think that 
in in finding out that like yes he could go into hiding but he won't have her that sends him over the edge and again you know you could say whether or not that's uh whether that's accurate uh you know you can't really speak towards his mental health or his emotional health at that point but i could imagine he feels like he is really and literally on the edge and if he can't spend the rest of his life with his love even though he came up with the plan to run away clearly that is stymied because her husband himself said you and you alone need to run away and never see my wife again that that would push him enough to say that i don't want to live anymore yeah. So that's the end of Jay Lee. It's a very dramatic shot where Jin is in the car and Jay Lee falls onto the car. My question for you, Mike, is how does Jin explain the state of his car to Sun? I guess I'm wondering how How does Sun never really like connect like was did did Jin kill my husband or does he know? Like, I mean it or- could it could be uh, a thing where like Jin calls Paik takes into like a shady auto body dealer at like 2 a.m. or something and they and they fix it up proper and send him home jing could also drive home and be like uh hey uh i hit a deer you know things got crazy out there i don't know how residential their place is but i could imagine there might be some ways especially again if, if jin communicates this back to paik that jay lee is dead that paik would tie up those loose ends so some would be none the wiser yeah or son the maybe. wiser uh uh, all right, Sun is uh, is going to meet the wiser person in Colleen, who knows so much about Sun. Colleen is going to make uh, contact with Sun in the bowels of the boat. Uh, she's uh, going to have a pitch for Sun while Sun has a gun trained on her. Let's listen in. I want you to let me off this boat. I can't do that. Why not? It's not my decision to make. Do you realize there are five of my friends up there? Lower your voice. Okay. Stop. I'll shoot. No, you won't, son. I know you, son, walk one. And I know you're not a killer. But despite what you may think... I am not the enemy. We are not the enemy. But if you shoot me, that's exactly what we'll become. Stop. I will. I'll shoot you. And she does. And she does, because some idiot elsewhere on the boat uh, starts up an engine on the other boat. I think the tugboat that's going to yeah. lug the, uh, the the sailboat away. And Sud gets spooked and she shoots. Yeah. Uh, and it's an interesting, you know, I guess if there was a theme of this episode, it's people trying to think they know Sun, but they really don't. Which, again, has been, uh, you know, another reason why this feels like a bit of a retread of the characters, because we know this about Sun, how underestimated she is. But, yeah. you know, I think Colleen's talking a bit out of her butt here, right? Of like, hey, I am not the enemy. If you do this, like, things will start. They, they stole Walt. They blew up the raft. Like, they clearly, I think, took the first shot. It's clear that, again, this is some manipulation to be like, you don't want to do this. You don't want to cause a problem when the problem's already been caused. Yeah, they're the enemy for sure right now. Um, they've they've done some bad things to these people. Uh, and I don't think that they're going to, you know, they, they've come up with this whole, like, you know, Rube Goldberg situation of, like, getting Jack to perform surgery on Ben when they could just ask. <laughs> they could have shown up with, like, fruit and candy and blankets and pillows and, like, hey, there's a hatch there if you want to sleep in the hatch. Like, they could have, like, made this work for everybody, but they didn't. 
You know, they've chosen the path that they're on instead. Um, very much uh, the others have uh, have have helped uh, uh, accelerate the tensions, the hostilities. Right. But Sun killing Colleen is going to make things worse for sure. Right. That's and that's what Ben's going to bring up later. Right. It's like the choice to purposely withhold information and makes them come across as mysterious. But at the same time, they can't really have a proper conversation about things. That being said, yes, Colleen is going to eventually die, but I guess it's only one casualty uh, because, you know, then Sun's able to get into the boat. There's a bit of a shootout. Friendly, for some reason, goes like, there she is! Yeah, uh, he's part of the tack team, which is a surprise to me, I guess. I mean, I think if there's a boat involved, I guess Friendly's there for some reason. I like, got dibs! Yeah, exactly. I do, I do think it's interesting that why Colleen was adamant that Sun couldn't be left off the boat, right? Like, if the goal is to get the boat, then just let Sun off the boat. Like, she's outnumbered. If she wants to get off the boat, you could very easily say, okay, sure, get off the boat. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. I can't, I like, I, it's not my call to let you off the boat. You could probably make the call. Yeah, you were the one that Ben outfitted to get this crew together. Yeah. He never said anything about, like, don't let anyone leave. Yeah, like, oh, take all casualties, you know? Yeah, just let her off the boat. Uh, Jin and Saeed are like, oh, shit, they're at the boat. Oh, we should have seen that. We Damn it. Known. Oh, dumb. Uh, Jin's going to jump in the water after her. He's uh, like, damn it, why is that, every time I get a boat, I end up swimming in the middle of the ocean, swimming to save somebody. Jin is shouting for Sun, sort of like Michael shouting for Walt. It feels like some echoes of that. So you are getting a little bit triggered with the adrift stuff. Yeah, well, especially uh, because the, the both the Sun killing Colleen stuff and then what's to happen here with like Jin and Sun finding each other in the water at least from my, the way I was watching it, very dark once more on the ocean, which does not uh, make for the best cinematography. But Sun and Jin essentially play Marco Polo with each other for a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they find each other. That's great. Uh, less great is this flashback, the final flashback of the episode where Sun has showed up at the funeral. Uh, Mr. Pig saying, why are you here? You shouldn't be here. She's like, have you told my husband what happened? No. What even happened? We're not talking about it. Yeah. Nothing happened. It's not my place, but it apparently is his place to essentially order Jin to kill him. Yeah. So uh, that's that's what's up. And he, and he gets a big burn at the end when he says, he must have felt great shame. Now go home to your husband. So essentially no, being no. like, I know what happened. We're going to forget about it. But like, don't like, don't forget you are here forever, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, I think maybe, you know, we are taking for granted that, like, the last time we saw Jin and Sun in flashback form, the question was in the air. Uh, did she sleep with Jay Lee? This episode is giving us that bit of information. Um, is that enough to justify a flashback episode? I think in these days of Lost at this point in the show, sure. For sure. Uh, like, I, it, like if Jack's tattoos are going to get a flashback, then this is more important than that, uh, I, I would say. Um, it does it does it like does it really fill you up that is the thing right like yeah. it's it's like it's fine like it's just information i'm glad that i have it as part of like the tapestry of the show and how else are you going to get it like glass ballerina exists and we get this information but uh it's just, it's, it's not it's just not mega memorable I think exactly the, and, and i think thematically it's not telling us anything new like again one of the reasons why i really liked jack's flashbacks from last week is that it connected with the stubbornness he felt in this new situation and the desire to get information about somebody at all costs, including your own personal health. Here, we just sort of know that Sun was trying to lie and then was found out 
and people around her suffered as a result, which we already kind of knew about the character. As you said, it's it's fun to uh, not fun, but it's fine to sort of send off the character of Jaylee and at least end that sort of sequence. I could see a world where Lost gets more Quan episodes and they decide to just keep showing Jaylee as her paramour. Uh, so at least they made the decision to kill him off here after three episodes. But still, it's Again, it's a it's a nothing burger. Uh, there's there's really not that much outside of that that say like, ooh, these are new little nuggets about the Quans that I didn't know beforehand. I eat some nothing nuggets. Nothing nuggets, I think, are are uh, more segmented, right? When you dig into a nothing burger, you know it's going to be a meal. You could snack on like a few nothing nuggets, yeah, and, I'm and down be with able that. to like get on with the rest of your day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, back at the beach, uh, Jin and Son are like, I love you, I love you. I don't know what I do without you. Yeah, same, same. Me too. Yeah, I should have seen this coming. I screwed this up. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Guys. And I won't tell you about my lover, and I never will until Juliet actually tells him to uh, next season. Yeah, so that's where we leave things. We got a long walk. So sorry is uh, Saeed. Uh, you know, give Saeed a pass here to some degree. He, he he messes things up so rarely, right? Yeah. Uh, that I think it's it's not okay, but it's not the end of the world. Right. He wasn't like, "What did you do? Oh, son, you screwed it up." No, like, I can't believe it. you did he's that. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one who screwed this up. He knows it. And he's he's like, "I'm so sorry." We that's why he says, "Like, I'm really really sorry." About and also, an item of note. So yeah, the Elizabeth has officially been commandeered from the others and i believe we're not going to see it again until season six yeah when uh, the man in black is trying to jet out of town yeah exactly when he's uh both you know in, in getting kate and sawyer to get the boat and then also in the end that's going to be his method of escaping the island yeah um all right back at hydra island uh sawyer and kate are gonna are gonna do the post game on everything that just happened let's let's listen in you okay now we're better what the hell were you thinking? I couldn't help myself. You just look so damn cute swinging that pickaxe. Chain gang looks good on you, Fraggles. Sire? Two of those guards got some real fight in them. The rest of them I ain't that much worried about. That heavy set guy. Packs a hell of a punch. Shaggy-haired kid's got some sort of martial arts training, but I think I could take him if I had to. Well, FYI, those zapper things got a safety on them. Did you see the look on their faces when you got a hold of that rifle? Guessing most of these boys never seen any real action. That blonde who had a gun pointed at you? She would have shot you. No problem. Why'd she call you James? Because that's my name. I noticed something else, too. You taste like strawberries. It tastes like fish biscuits. <laughs> it's cute. It's cute. It's cute. It's cute. It's kind of hot too. It's cute. Um, yeah, I think this is why we can feel like this was all the same day, 
right? Yeah. Because uh, if she tastes like strawberries, it's because she just had some. Yeah, I and mean, this is not like a survivor thing where like you eat something and the odor <laughs> stays with you because the other thing is uh, not an option. But yeah, I think this is, you know, again, this is not really something new. This is just really furthering like the Kate and Sawyer flirtation that's going to lead to them getting hot and heavy in the in the cages in a couple of episodes. But it's a really sweet scene between them. You know, Kate legitimately cares for Sawyer. And Sawyer, of course, still in sort of Bart Simpson mode, responds with sarcasm. And then eventually he wears uh, down a bit by talking about his name, admitting it to Kate, something that apparently she didn't know before, even though I think we'll talk in the others about how that isn't necessarily the case. And it turns out that, yes, yeah, Sawyer wasn't just being his usual firebrand self by starting a fight with the others. He was gathering intel. He's starting to build his own long con, in a way, uh, to get out. And there's a really fun uh, sh- sequence here that ends that I didn't put in here, where Sawyer and Kate are talking, basically thinking, like, we're going to have one over the other. So saying, like, okay, what do we do now? Bide our time. And so they think they have the advantage. It turns out that Ben has been watching them the entire time, and he has the advantage. It's almost like puppets holding strings of puppets in a way, where they think they're the ones in charge, but it turns out that no, 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 someone still has tabs on them. Yeah, so Ben's watching everything that's going on in the cages, and like that's going to get really weird a little bit later on, but not now. Um, And this is going to lead us into the end of the episode, which is very, very, very heavy on the Ben content. Um, and, uh, it's so heavy that the final scene has so much great stuff, Mike, that you broke this up into two different sound chunks. Yeah. Basically it's pre TV and post TV. So for this, for this, for, for sound number seven, Ben is going to formally introduce himself to Jack. So let's listen to the first part of this scene. Hello, Jack. You know what's crazy, Jack? A week ago, you and I were in exactly the opposite situation. I was the one locked up, and you were the one coming in for visits. And I know that you were angry that I lied to you about who I was, but... Hell. Do you blame me? I mean, let's face it, if I'd have told you I was one of those people that you and your friends have been calling others all this time, it would have been right back to Saeed and his fists. Wouldn't it? What do you want from me? I want for you to change your perspective. And the first step in doing that would be for me to be decent enough to introduce myself honestly, so. Hi. My name is Benjamin Linus, and I've lived on this island all my life. Lies! Lies. What if he just, like, fully committed to the lie and said, hi. I'm Brad Pitt from the future. Hello, 
My name is George W. Bush. I am the American president <laughs> yeah. now. And I I've command you to operate president. on me. <laughs> yeah, I've been reelected president. And I've gone through facial reconstructive yeah. surgery. No, my name is hide. Christopher Reeve. I'm dead. Uh, yeah, but I'm alive on this island. Why not go with a full lie? Uh, but yeah, I'm Ben. I've been here forever. It's a lie. Even in this first scene where he's saying, like, honesty is the best policy. Should have led with honesty. Let me, tr- let me try a different tact. All right, here's the honest truth. I'm Ben, and I've lived here my... <coughs> sorry, sorry. And I've lived here my whole, whole life. Yeah, the, the, like the only exception I could see is if he has a technicality of it being, like, a spiritual birth. Like, he did not become the man who he is now until he got on the island. So he almost, like, disregards who Ben Linus was in those first however many years as, like, not that person. Because we'll see. No, he's going to talk about it later on where he's like, listen, I'm one of the only people who was born on this island. Nobody else is here. Like, not a lot of people could say that. Like, he's still going to try and speak in that language where it's all just bullshit. Yeah, but you could see, I love the the forcefulness, yet, like, tactfulness in which Ben, even just the action of folding out one of those chairs that you bring to your son's Little League game, is still done with a certain amount of tact that Benjamin Linus has. I love his choice, uh, and I don't know if this was Michael Emerson's line reading or the writing, for him to say, I want for you to change your at, and he's about to say change your attitude, and then changes it mid-word to perspective. Like, that speaks towards the level of observation that Ben has with, okay, what word is going to work for Jack? Like, he's workshopping his script to give to Jack in the moment. And change your attitude is not going to ride with Jack as much as just, like, the more adult, respectful, change your perspective. But Ben actually offers his hand to Jack. And, uh, you know, a la Stacey Powell in Survivor South Pacific, Jack refuses to shake. And Ben comments on it as well. All right. So he's got another plan up his sleeve, though. Uh, If the handshake isn't going to work... And how about a little TV time? How about some story time? How about some TV time? And Ben is going to call in his guy with like, uh, all right, I'm your substitute teacher. I'm your history <laughs> professor, uh, as I will be in the afterlife. And I'm going to wheel in a TV for today's class. We're going to show you uh, the Red Sox winning the World Series in 2004. And this is going to be the deal breaker. And yeah, this is a great scene. This is a tremendous scene. Bring it in, please. Where are Kate and Sawyer? They're fine, and they're close. That's all I'm able to tell you right now. You can tell me anything you want. Fair enough. It's all I want to tell you. I'm going to make this really simple, Jack. If you cooperate, we send you home. Cooperate with what? When the time is right, I'll tell you. You tell me now. Patience, Jack. Patience. Home. Is that where you send Walt and Michael? Yes. <laughs> if you could leave this island, why would you still be here? Yes, Jack. Why would we be here? You're lying. You're stuck here just like we are. You don't have any. Your flight crashed on September 22nd, 2004. Today is November 29th. That means you've been on our island for 69 days. And yes, we do have contact with the outside world, Jack. That's how we know that during those 69 days, your fellow Americans re-elected George W. Bush. Christopher Reeve has passed away. Boston Red Sox won the World Series. (laughs) 
Why? <laughs> if you want, if you wanted me to believe this, you probably should have picked somebody else besides the Red Sox. You no, know, they were down three games to none against the Yankees in the league championship, and then they won eight straight. Sure, sure, of course they did. That's home, Jack. Right there on the other side of that glass. And if you listen to me, if you trust me, if you do what I tell you when the time comes, I'll take you there. I will take you home. A really great ending. Does it save the rest of the episode that is like, is it's good, it's fine, it's fine. But like the ending is absolutely lit. Ugh. There's just no doubt about it. Like the ending there is so great. It's bringing in history. You're a couple of years removed from that moment, but that's a huge piece of history. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a sports person and that was an enormous event in in my life you know i i will never forget where i was when the red sox won the world series i was in syracuse uh it was you know a a month into you know not quite a month into lost run at that point Mm -hmm. everyone was going insane out on campus uh just outside my dorm room window like i'll never forget where i was when that went down and to evoke that even like two years removed from that moment in the real time of the making of the show um you know it's still such a historic event and the way in which it maps onto the the personal history of Jack Shepard, yep. uh, which we've established, Red Sox fan. Red uh, Sox fan, yes, exactly. She- it's a Red Sox family, the Shepard household. Um, to map that on there, like, very, very, very... I would like to say, like, clever seeding of that idea from from Damon's part uh, earlier in the series with the, the that's why the Sox will never win the World Series. Because um, it really pays off so exceptionally here. Um, and it it is such an exceptional scene that even if we're being like a little bit harder on the rest of the episode, makes me feel like it's it's enough to give it like a little bit of a bump, uh, like a little bit of a bump past being like an outright like mediocre episode of Lost to being a mediocre episode of Lost with a dynamite ending. Right, and I would say like that you know brings it up at least it's that's something we can talk about again if you're looking at like the long-term effect of things this breaks jack a little more even though he was pretty broken at the end of a tale of two cities and i i love this bringing this moment in particular not just you know because of the jack of it all but because from jack's connection to this idea of like i think from his perspective the red sox winning the world series is a miracle right it's something that he never thought would happen and so to see that happen he's not going to go full john Locke yet that's going to be a long long time for now but this is sort of a big thing for the man of science that, oh, my God, this type of stuff can actually happen. Maybe I should open my mind up to other things. I will say from Ben's big ticket items between George W. Bush being reelected, the Red Sox winning the World Series and 
Christopher Reeve dying. I will say one of these things is not like the other, but I guess they maybe they were struggling. Christopher Reeve was a was a huge deal. That's Superman. Superman died. Yeah, uh, but I, that, but I would that also was a say big, that was a big event too. I I I vividly remember uh, the the passing of Christopher Reeve, and it was it was of that piece of time. It was like there was like this this period of like shit going down in that chunk of time. Oh, if only we um, knew. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, I know. Uh, but I, I feel like that is, that is well worth mentioning. And certainly like scratches, like the, um, like the pop culture itch, uh, that, uh, is in the veins of the writing of this show. Um, Christopher Reeve obviously was Superman, but like stood for so much more than that, um, in, in his, uh, his, his charity driven work and just, uh, the, the way that he, he modeled how you could, uh, live a good life. Um, in spite of, uh, you know, just like the absolute worst thing happening to you, just something unthinkable. Um, he's, su- he was such a, I guess I'm, I, I love Christopher Reeve quite a bit. Uh, and I, I think Christopher Reeve getting mentioned in the same breath here. And especially because it is, uh, if you want to take it on a plot standpoint, maybe teasing out a little bit of what Ben is going to be inviting Jack to do for him. <laughs> Please help me with yeah. uh, with a spinal issue. Jack is a spinal surgeon, so I'm sure that for him, Christopher Reeve is actually probably a huge deal. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I wonder if Jack would be so frustrated that he couldn't have fixed Christopher Reeve. You know, you know like I, that's his like I think, white whale. I think I think that he would probably be very, 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 very deeply moved and sad. By the passing of Christopher Reeve, so I actually think that it it uh it plays really really well. Um, the, second only to the fact that he was a huge Al Gore stan and must be <laughs> yeah. very upset that he uh that he lost the election. So here's my question: Ben says he'll That's send John Kerry was <laughs> well, maybe he was still feeling from Al Gore. I mean, yeah, listen, he was still mad about Al Gore. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm, well, I guess they they yeah, I guess it was September, so uh, Kerry yeah, was like they should have run Al Gore again. They really screwed it. Why up. didn't they do that? We're yeah. so close with Florida. Uh, so Ben Ben says <laughs> so he'll dumb. send Jack home if he cooperates. Is this like a Juliet level uh, of like placating somebody by being like, yeah, sure, we'll send you home? Or do you legitimately think? No, yeah, that was Embry. the plan. They were going to give him the submarine. I'm trying, and then I'm John trying, Locke I'm trying to remember. Up. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, in future episodes that they they were playing to get on the submarine. Yeah, he was going to do it. He was going to let him go. So good on him. It's only Juliet that he's really like keeping on a string because he has a crush on her. Everyone yeah. else, he's like, oh yep, you did your part of the deal. I'll send you home. Great ending to a mediocre episode. I do think that that will boost it a little bit higher than some of the other mediocre episodes for me. Uh, Not by much. Um, Let's get into some more feedback. We've already been seeding feedback throughout this, so we don't have too, too much more. Um, Phoebe Nugent had written in and said, would Jay Lee have jumped still if he had known that Jin didn't know the whole story? Do you think that that would have had an impact, Mike? So... I don't think so, because I think that the, the the I think any sort of comment from Jin would have again sent Jay Lee in a bit of a downward spiral, and so I I personally don't think outside of Jin being like it's all good, buddy. Th- yeah. I don't know how, how much would have been said in the manner that Jin did it uh, to not have put Jay Lee in a certain point where he thought, okay, this is it. Then I if I can't have son, then I'm not going to live. This is from Dallin Servo. How do you get stuck on runway duty as another? Is it a punishment? Is it a random assignment? Do you volunteer? Yeah, I wonder if you... I wonder if there's like a chore wheel thing for a lot of these other duties, right? Not necessarily like working security or anything like that, but these random menial tasks, like progressing from the Dharma Initiative to the current other leadership under Ben, 
I do wonder, maybe they cycle it in and out so that nobody gets too bored. Because, yeah, I can't imagine that too many people are like, oh, I can't wait to hang out at the quarry while they're building the runway by picking out a bunch of rocks. Yeah. This was tremendous from Joanne, the Pistons fan. Uh, Joanne wrote in, as season three kicks off, I'm reminded of the ways in which Sa- Shannon could have still been useful. <laughs> Sass- sassing the others. Too many times the 815 crew lets the others get away with having the last word, even when they say something wildly wrong or unfair. Case in point, Kate doesn't want to be watched while she takes a shower. Mr. Friendly assures her that she's not his type. Kate should have told him that she deserves the dignity of a private shower, regardless of whether he's attracted to her. Situations like these are where I would have loved to have heard one of Shannon's classic retorts. Uh, As you can see, like Jack, I have a hard time letting go, says Joanne. That I I love this. Uh, please, Shannon. Please, throughout Lost, do what would Shannon do? WWSD at very pivotal moments in Lost. Yeah, I think that that would be that'd be good. I mean, I I'd guess have, uh, yeah. Shannon on Hydra Island as like the fourth wheel. Yeah, that would be interesting. Well, it also you know I I don't know if uh, Sawyer would be so interested in, in Miss Strawberries if he had light sticks there as well. Yeah, maybe maybe. Um, okay, so we got to talk about something from last week. So we got into the Amelia stuff, mm-hmm. right? We talked about Amelia last week, who is a member of the others, who we only see again in a missing uh, webisode, unless, unless we actually do see more of her. So we'll talk about that. But first, I should I should note that we were we were mentioning this theory that Amelia Earhart is Amelia on the Lost Island, and little did we know, Mike, that the Friday that the episode dropped, A Tale of Two Cities. It was Amelia Earhart's birthday. Oh my god! So that's crazy. So I feel like that's going to lend further. I mean, it's, it's true now. It's true. It has to be like we. It's can't, canon. It's canon. Yeah, we can't mistake canon. coincidence for fate. But at the same time, like, how? What are the odds? That's that canon. Happen? Amelia Earhart was on the island, and that is Amelia Earhart. But here is another thing: What if this woman, Amelia? is also somebody who we've seen elsewhere in the show or are going to see elsewhere in the show, uh, someone who we see in an earlier time period, and that would be Amy Goodspeed, mm. played by Rako Aylesworth, uh, who is uh, a, a favorite of mine from her days on 24. Uh, uh, so this is her character's named Amy. Uh, this is from Mariah, who writes in, If Ethan survived the purge, it stands to reason that Amy did as well. It's been a long time since I watched Follow the Leader in the Incident, so I don't remember how Amy's story ended. But if Ethan is still on the island in 2004, Amy could be too. The actress who plays Amelia may be a little too old, but it makes sense that Amelia would befriend Juliet as she's the one who delivered Amy's baby. Um, I love that. I love that. Let's connect that. Let's connect yeah. these two things and we can bring it back up when we get to season five and we see Amy Goodspeed on the board. Um, but I am I am here for Amy growing up and, and this is Amelia Earhart. She's calling herself Amy because she doesn't want anyone to know that she's Amelia Earhart. So she's going by Amy and she's already all weirded out by everything that's happening on the island. Maybe she's like an amnesiac Amy, Mike. Mm. Well, I mean, she her husband was Horace Goodspeed, right? Who was like his own mm-hmm. formal weird uh, with the mathematician of it all. So yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe he experimented on her or something, or maybe she's not all put together that like she might have had her own uh, memories. Because that also brings, an in- and the Ben Martell points this out, this brings a nice little color to her comments about Ethan not getting the plumbing done, yeah. uh, considering, yeah. again, the if that is indeed her son, it's her sort of sassing him about it. Um, all right, some final things. One, Josh Harkness wants us to nominate uh, Keith Folk, closer for the Red Sox. Uh, in 2004 for an MVP point. Um, I'm not going to do it. 
And I'd probably mispronounced his name, but it is a funny idea of giving MVP points to the Boston Red Sox. I, don't he think a, he, I mean, he had a great line reading and he helped convince Jack to eventually give Ben <laughs> surgery. So maybe they get like a, an assist here. Uh, Mike Bloom, uh, you said that season three has the best DVD cover. I am, maybe I'm biased because I'm a big fan of the color green, but I do feel like if you line all the cases up against one another, season three is the one that sticks out to me the most. And I guess by that, uh, treatment, I enjoy it the most. Um, give me some, give me the lowdown on the music this week. Jim Fells with his music analysis. What did we get? So obviously anything is going to be poultry to the delicious fish biscuits, or I guess the last week was strawberries. This week was fish biscuits in terms of the music stuff. Uh, you know, there's like a little danger motif that happens when the others board the boat. We're going to get it again when like Mikhail and Jin, uh, you know, fight one another as they find each other in the jungle. We're going to get a little thingy for Picket that's going to pop up throughout. There's a fun moment during that Kate Alex scene where we combine like the harp of Kate's theme with the strings of Rousseau's theme to be like, here are literally two people coming together. Uh, and yeah, that's that's basically it. So only a couple of things showing again this episode. Uh, maybe not going making a huge stretch in terms of exploring new content. But again, after all the stuff we got in A Tale of Two Cities, it's going to pale by comparison. All right. MVPs and LVPs. I've got three MVPs. You've got three LVPs and then two apiece, respectively, as a result of that. And I'm just going to open up with a double tap to James Sawyer Ford. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll throw a, a triple tap on there. I know it's a, we went to a quarter charge on the shocker, but we're going to have a third charge here with Sawyer. Oh, my God. Uh, so three points for Sawyer. He's just very funny. Uh, in, and in and his, he gets intel on the others. And he gets intel on the others. And it's a really great Sawyer episode for sure. And my other MVP point uh, I will give to Juliet. Uh, because I think the way that she is able to dismantle Sawyer is really, really effective. And I think that just the interaction between them in this scene, um, seeing them adversarial, considering where they wind up, is just really, really super fun. Yeah, and it's another, she continues like her badass streak of episodes of her showing how absolutely in charge she is and the power that she has over 815 as well. Where, again, even when Sawyer goes rogue, she is the one to convince him to drop the gun and eventually supplicate himself. So, considering that we gave kudos to Sawyer, considering that Juliet got one over Sawyer, she gets kudos as well. And I'm going to give it to another guy who gets one in over somebody. I'm going to give a point to Ben here. I believe this is our first point to Ben in Season 3. Granted, we're only two episodes in, but for really skulking in the shadows, with the exception of The Breakfast last week, this was really Ben's... Uh, coming out episode in season three in his conversation with Jack. He is just such a great manipulator in that scene. And granted, we do not see like the immediate after effects of that conversation in Jack saying, yeah, I'll do it. But just the way he is able to get Jack so flummoxed and the surety with which he approached that conversation, it's it's got to earn a mark in my book. I was thinking about giving a point to the others because they do end up stealing the boat, but they do end up with a casualty on their hands. So I'm, I'm not going to give them too much credit here. No, and they also get their butts kicked by Sawyer. You know, if not yeah. for Juliet's uh, psychological warfare, they probably would have gotten rocked. Uh, probably literally eventually by rocks because mm-hmm. there's so many of them in the, in the runway field. Uh, I should note that at this point, um, James Sawyer Ford who has been languishing in the LVP category uh, and has been just uh, unable to escape the negatives for so, so long, finally is in a positive one overall and is currently the co-leader of season three's rankings alongside Juliet. Both of them have four. 
Uh, so four for Sawyer, four for Juliet. They are the current season three MVP leaders, which I love. Yeah, well, Jesse Camacho, the great Jesse Camacho, asked us actually earlier today of the day we're recording this, you know, is Sawyer the MVP of the first six yeah. episodes? And Josh, it might honestly be a thing where after I do and we stop down for a hot second, that Juliet and Sawyer are going to be the by far the two like runaway point givers throughout season three so far. Yeah, so we'll we'll have to wait and see. I'm I'm excited. I th- I think that there's there's potential for Sawyer to go on a run. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to find out. Um, LVPs, I've got two, and I'm just dumping them on Mr. Pate because that dude sucks. Yeah, and this is also you know it's gonna be. Colleen a while didn't before. die yet, and you know I'm not gonna uh, Jay Lee tough situation. Uh, Mr. Pake is here. He's an easy target. I'm gonna hit him twice. Yeah, he was sending out targets. He you know ruined her daughter, his daughter's relationship, manipulated his son-in-law, got a man to kill himself. Like he's he's one of the worst daddies, and that is saying something on Lost. So I'll throw a point on there. I was going to you know, make it four points again, but I once again decided to give some sort of honorable mentions here. I'm going to give one to Danny Pickett in his reemergence here in season three, because as, as funny as the whole shocked thing is, he does get his ass kicked by Sawyer. Uh, and the, considering that Sawyer was able to get one over on him, considering that he was armed and had a shocker, that earns an LVP point. And Josh, you ended up kind of convincing me for, I think, the first time since Confidence Man... I think we're giving an LVP point to Saeed here. He screwed this one up. Yeah. I wouldn't have done it, but I can't fault you for it. I it's, think Saeed screws this one up. Yeah, that's the thing is that like uh, maybe it's because we we gray on a harsher curve for someone like Saeed, who was our MVP leader uh, going into this episode overall. For like when he has a rare slip up, he needs to be acknowledged here. Whereas maybe some of the other characters, like for example, as you probably figured out as we end up our points here, neither Quan has gotten points. From my perspective, this is another quintessential case of a, of a Quan episode, like, having a wash with these characters, where Sun does a badass thing and shoots Colleen and shows that she can drive a boat and proves herself, but she also cheats on her husband and sleeps with another man. Jin shows a lot of heart in the flashbacks in not killing Jay Lee and wanting to quit uh, from Mr. Paik's services, but... He's also kind of an asshole to Sun in the present day. So once again, it's this thing where like the two of them cancel each other out almost. And so they ended up with no points this episode. Okay, well, let's get into the 4.2 stars. Uh, let's let's rank the Glass Ballerina. We only have two episodes in season three thus far. Spoiler alert, A Tale of Two Cities is still number one in the Glass Ballerina. We'll rank behind it. Uh, let's just determine how it's going to rank behind it. And for me, I gave A Tale of Two Cities a four, and I'm going to give The Glass Ballerina a full point below that. I'm giving mm-hmm. it a three. And I think that this is probably, for me, this is like, I was looking at similar episodes that I felt kind of similarly about um, uh, as The Glass Ballerina, and I'm looking at, like, Greater Good and Born to Run, which are 2.7s and 2.8s for me. It's it's in that category. That final scene is so damn good yeah. that it really does bump it up, and it, it bumps it up significantly for me. So I think what would have normally been like a 2.8, I'm giving a 3. Um, it feels like... I, I can't tell if that's too high or a little too low on the Glass Ballerina, but I'm just landing it at three. That's where I'm coming in on this re- uh, this runway that's not quite ready for my plane. Well, I'll copy you here. I gave Tale of Two Cities a 3.9. I'll do a, a whole step down as well and give Glass Ballerina a 2.9, which going back to my Bloom Brick puts it at a just at the top of the below average episode of Lost. And 
I mean, as we were going through the document, you and I were really, I think, all over the place with our numbers. I think I went as low as almost like a two point seven, two point six. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, a, it was in, it was in question as we were even doing the podcast for me, and and then we got to that episode, and I just kind of relived it even through hearing it. Uh, we got to the ending rather, and it, it just. It's like a it's a really transformative magical moment for Lost uh, to like bring the outside world back into the language of the show yeah. uh, is is just really and it's it's exceptionally done. Um, it's it's not exceptionally done enough to you know offset the fact that the rest of it is relatively mediocre to me. But like I I love that scene so much that it's gonna it's gonna keep it in the three family. Yeah, sure. the, the, it definitely buoys it. And I would also say that like the Kate and Sawyer stuff. The comedy that comes from that and, like, the cuteness of the two of them also helps. Because otherwise, yeah, there's really nothing here of consequence. And, you know, I was going back and forth. I did what you did and sort of, like, compared it to other episodes uh, in terms of how I felt. I was Basically, I compared this to Dave. And I was thinking, did I, do I put this above Dave? And I decided to decide it's, I slightly liked it more than Dave. Just because, I guess, if I'm going back to my question of would I rather watch, like, an, a non-essential episode of Lost... Or an episode of Lost that had good stuff, but also bad stuff. I guess it's the former. Because Dave, the stuff I didn't like about Dave outweighs the nothing burger of the Glass Ballerina only slightly. So I gave Dave a 2.8. Glass Ballerina is a 2.9 for me. It's an it's an interesting range of stuff from the listeners. We have seen some as low as like a 2.1. A lot of like mid to high twos. And then we've also seen like a lot of mid to high threes going all the way up to a 3.9. So again, to each their own. I wonder, you know, maybe some other people feel this is a better uh, one-two punch with a tale of two cities than maybe the two of us. But again, I will go back to what I posited at the very beginning that I think the Glass Ballerina uh, is definitely a big step down from what the, a tale of two cities provides. But it could have been worse, Josh. We could have followed up a tale of two cities with further instructions. All right, well, that's next. Further instructions. It's coming a little late. You'll have to wait for further instructions. Uh, August 8th is when that podcast is going to drop. Get your feedback in by the morning of August 6th. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com, or you can tweet at us at postshowrecaps, at Round Howard, at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, make sure you're getting your feedback in for further instructions there. Keep it up for every man for himself. That's coming your yeah, way. Yeah, might, might as well, yeah. Since if you've watched the next, like, I would honestly suggest people just, we're going to record them pretty back to back. So just watch the next two episodes and send them in bulk. The Ben Behind the Curtain does a great job of organizing everything, but I'm very excited to talk about further instructions because I think I, I love, as I talked about before, like dressing dressing down things that don't work and lost. And further instructions really doesn't work in a number of ways, whether if you're talking about non-essential flashback episodes, we will get to lock the park pot farmer. After two episodes, Lost finally decides to tell us what happened to the people after the hatch explosion. And that's a little bit of a want want as well. And Josh, we are finally introduced to Nikki and Paulo. I thought you were going to say to, uh, to Eddie, the oh, undercover. No. And we're finally agent. introduced to ghost Boone as well. To Justin Chatwin, uh, making his lost debut as one and only. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about the potluck. Uh, I think that's going to be fun. Uh, so we're going to get into the weeds of John Locke next week on further instructions. Mike, this is uh, an additional dose of Lost for you this week. Mm-hmm. You were on Crazy Hank TV talking There's No Place Like Home. I was unable to join you due to my travel schedule. How did it go? It was great. Uh, you know, I have been out and about as as an, a very big season four lover. And damn, just watching that three-part episode just really reminded me of how much I love that season and how... 
strong it ended. I'm so excited to get to it. Granted, it's going to be guesstimating probably about nine months until we actually get to There's No Place Like Home in all three parts. But between, like, the pulse-pounding action, paying off a bunch of storylines like Penny and Desmond finally meeting, and just, like, the emotions, I think it's a fantastic Ben episode. I think it's a fantastic Sawyer episode. There's just so much packed in that it was so great to revisit. So, yeah, in your absence, we essentially got uh, two Glatfelters for the price of one Wiggler. So I, of course, joined <laughs> Jack Glatfelter as well as Jay, who uh, not only was part of the old Jay and Jack Lost podcast, but also he and I have podcasted with uh, Westworld and Stranger Things and all that, and Jay's wife, Colleen, who you know from the broadcast and formerly of the tribe and all that. And that was a lot of fun. We, you know, talked about the episode. We went into a lot of tangents and ended up talking a lot about how uh, Colleen one time ran into Melissa Benoist uh, at the San Diego Comic-Con and got her son to, like, take pictures with her without realizing that it was her. You had to be there to experience it. But that was a lot of fun and just made me so excited for when and if we get into season four, and especially when we get into that episode. So check that out. Uh, YouTube, Crazy Hank TV. And Josh and I will be back there probably like three months at this point to talk about uh, the incident as well. Yes, absolutely. So uh, I can't wait to travel through time and talk about season five. That'll be very, very fun. Uh, For now, we're focused on further instructions coming next into your feed. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Four, eight, 